Hello, this is Mike Edel and Steve Carpenter from Yakima Chief Hops. Welcome to the 25th episode of our podcast, Beer, Baseball, and Binds. Today we're joined by Jeremy and Darren from the brewery uh, down from uh, Orange County, California. And uh, you guys are up here for a selection. Welcome to our podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, baseball season, the Angels uh, obviously not having a great year and just got rid of their manager, and the, and the Dodgers look like they're ready to go to the World Series. So it depends on which side of the street you're on for that. But uh, good time for baseball uh, fans, at least if you're an L.A. Dodger uh, uh, aficionado. Yeah, the Dodgers have uh, they've been functioning at a high level here the last couple of years, and we're hoping this year that we close the deal and, and bring that bring that trophy home to L.A. So the question is, is Joe Madden uh, house shopping yet in Orange <laughs> County for a managerial position with the Angels? It's got to be. I mean, after, <laughs> well, after they just fired Asmus uh, after one year, so that's a pretty short timeline yeah. for a manager. So yeah. That's a very short timeline. Um, is that his name, Asmus or Osmus? Probably Asmus. If we're brewers, it's Asmus, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, you know, Socha was there for a long time, and uh, Socha – did a really great job, um, but yeah, now we're we're ready for the next chapter, and hopefully, I, I'm not a real estate agent, so I can't really tell you what, what Matt's <laughs> been up to. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's warming up in uh, old Southern California right about now. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, Steve, we're uh, we're in the last bits and pieces of hop harvest here, right? And uh, what's what's still left out there, and what's uh, what's the latest so, uh, update? So the regular season for mm-hmm. hop growing is coming to a close. Uh, there's still a couple growers that are picking, uh, but most growers have wrapped up by now. Talked to a couple growers yesterday who finished yesterday and who now will be bailing up and whatnot. Um, it was a little scary at the end because we did have some really cold weather. And the uh, you know, lowest I heard was uh, 27, and that was just outside of my house on my pickup thermometer driving up here uh, day before yesterday. Uh, but... Uh, the hops that I've seen still look good. They're still in good shape. We really needed some uh, um, a long period down in that 23, 24 degrees to really do damage. So mm-hmm. we've made it across the finish line. There's a couple growers that are still picking, but uh, the crop should be harvested and in the barn by this weekend. And we're really pretty much just left with the alphas anyway, right? Uh, it is. Does uh, do the colder temperatures impact alpha in any way, or does it uh, accelerate that uh, alpha percentage not, change? Or, or? Not so much. I mean, we you've got your um, alpha curve, um, and we're past the optimum level for mm-hmm. most of the alpha varieties. We're on the downside part of that curve. So we'll see alphas start to drift downward, HSI start to drift upward. But uh, we're still in that prime picking period, even though it is the uh, 2nd of October. So there's really no reason to. I mean, there's not a there's not a picking window not to get stuff harvested. It's just now, if your your equipment and your kilns can can handle the hops coming in, right? Yeah, and most of those hops, of course, will be extracted uh, or turned into alpha pellets. So the name of the game there is alpha acid, uh, not so much uh, the quality that we shoot for f- with our aroma hops uh, to keep our craft brewer customers happy. So you shaved overnight, so officially harvest is over, right? Yeah. According to Diana. <laughs> According to my wife, uh, she uh, was wondering when harvest was going to be over yesterday, which also happened to be our 42nd wedding anniversary. So Congratulations. Happy anniversary, Diana. Um, 
And uh, once she asked the question the second time, <laughs> no, seriously, when is harvest going to be over? I, you know, it's time to shave. I, I, I would like to make it to forty-three, so <laughs> I shaved. Yep. Well, uh, Darren and Jeremy, you guys uh, out uh, selecting uh, the last couple of days, and uh, what, what were you looking at, and how was this year's uh, quality from your perspective? Um, we uh, so far what what we were selecting for uh, was Centennial, Citra, uh, Mosaic, and Simcoe. Where our our uh, contracted quantities are primarily driven uh, by our our IPA line, which we've re- really just seen momentum on mm-hmm. in the last couple of years. So. You know, uh, Jeremy and I have both been working in craft beverages for quite some time. But as far as uh, specifically with the brewery, uh, this is really our second year uh, selecting for for that line of beers. Uh, as far as how the hops looked, uh, overall pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Simcoe the Simcoe was nice. Um, the Centennial was actually great. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was the the lot that we selected on Centennial. We really liked because it had a lot of. Um, uh, I would say it was true to Centennial, but at least the lot we looked at that we liked uh, had almost um, a lower, lower kind of dank character mm-hmm. and and um, expressed a lot of fruit, which maybe wouldn't normally be expected out of Centennial. But mm-hmm. it melds very well. We use that as a blending dry hop against um, the Citras and the Simcoes, and uh, we really liked that. So. You guys have one of the more truly uh, unique, special breweries in the U.S. where there's a big focus, not necessarily on IPAs, but it's on a lot of uh, barrel-aged beers, sours, and whatnot. Tell, tell us a little bit about the the background of uh, the brewery and, um, and and what you guys are doing, because uh, we're, we're starting off with, uh, it's, a, it's a little bit early, but we're starting off with a really good Imperial Stout called So Happens It's Tuesday, and uh, it's it's really a good really good stout so nice. tell us a little bit about your brewery sure i'll i'll, I'll kind of start off and then and then let jeremy <laughs> fill in uh the gap a little bit but we were founded in 2008 uh by patrick rue um the the namesake for which the the spelling of the brewery um, comes from and that's very important to us uh it's very difficult to make vendor phone calls when you say hey it's the brewery well, which one um that happens a lot <laughs> the response is typically no the brewery and uh and 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 then it usually registers but uh essentially yeah we're we're uh we have an interesting an interesting model that has been primarily driven uh since founding by our society structure and it's very similar to a wine club mm-hmm. where we have members um and the majority of our innovative and premium products go through those membership tiers mm-hmm. that customer group is they're they're our biggest fans and they're our family so uh, so that's where we have that avenue, that fan club, for a lot of really interesting products. Um, the the gin barrel age imperial cabinet that we have here is, is one of those. And bar- as far as barrel aging, that's, that's a big part of our focus. And kind of let Jeremy uh, highlight that a little bit. But we're one of the, uh, per barrel produced, we're one of the largest barrel programs uh, in the United States. And, mm-hmm. and we, we're very proud of that. This so happens. It's Tuesday. The Imperial style that we're drinking now, um, clocks in at about 15% alcohol. And this is the little one. Um, it's the, <laughs> it's the, the baby brother, if you will, to our black Tuesday, which we're coming up on the release of that. It's actually the 10 year anniversary of black Tuesday. And that's our, that's our famous bourbon barrel aged Imperial stout. 
um, comes and out. A, there's a story behind your first batch and why it's called Black Tuesday, right? Yeah, so my understanding, and I, I, I didn't work for the company at this time, but um, there's a concept that was really a pretty rough brew day. <laughs> um, you can imagine when you're trying to get to an ultimate 36 starting Play-Doh, you know, the, the equipment, certainly the equipment they had then wasn't designed for that. And um, I think everyone, what I've heard is everyone was actually, you know, given the turmoil surprise with the outcome of the product. And obviously the beer's come a long way. It's evolved since then, but it's the backbone of a lot of things we do. Nice. If I was going to add anything on the brewery and who we really are, it's, uh, I, you know, I would add that you know, we're not a brewery that just happens to put some beer into barrels. Um, we didn't just stumble upon our cask program. We have mm-hmm. about 4,500 casks uh, between both of our uh, clean facility and our sour facility. You know, this is something that we take very seriously. And I could say that we're experts in our field when it comes to creating these types of beers. And we didn't start that way. Uh, we started as a young brewery that was experimenting. Um, and 11 years of history has gotten us to the place where you know, I, I can come here and talk to you guys and, and be confident to say that we do this with a sense of purpose and we know what we're doing and we know what we're trying to do. And we know that we're going to fail sometimes, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we're going to put out a good product that we worked years on making. And it's it's really a testament to our team and, and to our vision. And now we're in the IPA game. Mm-hmm. And the IPA game is a totally, totally different game, a totally different skill set it takes to, to make these types of beers. And you know, I'm hoping that we'll be back here next year and the following year, and, and I'll make some statement that's equal to that, where I'm like, we're experts in our field when it comes to IPA, and I think we're well on our way to doing that. Um, and, you know, thanks to being able to, to come and work with people like yourselves to to find the 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 assets that we need to, to make our beers better every year. I think, you know, what, you're, what you do with uh, with your existing set now adding the IPAs, it, I mean, you guys are really kind of the uh, the definition of craft. You know, really, you're, you're perfecting a craft. Uh, it's clear you guys, uh, by the beer you're making, your, your focus on your, your society members, your, your club, and, um, and, and how you talk about it is that you really take pride in it, and, and, and that's going to drive you towards success, I think, just because that's what's important is uh, – you know, it's like baseball. You know, it's having a love for it, right? You can't you can't be a good baseball player or a good brewer if you don't love what you're doing, right? I mean, you see it happen to a few guys, and, and I think we can point out a few examples of baseball players. It becomes just about money, and when that happens, then, you know, they're on the downside of whatever they're doing, right? So this is pretty special what you guys are doing because it's a good reminder that uh, – you know, there's there's places for different styles of beers and, and, and how they're made and the perfection that goes into it and the, the care that goes into it, what gets us excited, because we, we like to think about that from a from a hop growing perspective as well, you know, and, uh, you know, your second year out. But I don't know if you got a chance to get out to Peralt's and see Jason Peralt at all, uh, the, the guy that really was behind the breeding program for Simcoe and mosaic and citron and a few others and, and steve can talk a lot more about it but the care that goes into bringing up a really good hop is kind of the same thing that goes into making a really good beer now these are amazing beers yeah you, you can really tell by tasting that the uh, complexity of the beer uh, the different flavors that come from it yeah. uh, i really enjoy this and this is i mean it's not exactly a lawnmower beer 
but <laughs> absolutely not. definitely something to uh, for me. I'm just thinking of sitting down on a cold winter's day mm-hmm. and, and 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 wanting to get warmed up and wanting to just sit there and enjoy the taste and the complexity of a of of a uh, imperial stout beer and. Uh, Amazing, That's outstanding. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Normally, not something we have at uh, nine thirty in the morning either. Well, it's but after uh, five somewhere <laughs> in uh, in the world, so we're okay. We're okay. But uh, uh, very nice work, guys. This is this is outstanding beer. Thank you. You guys have uh, uh, three tap rooms now. Is that right, uh, or, or, or something like that? We have, we have two tap rooms, okay. both uh, both in Orange County. Okay. Um, the main brewery campus is in Placentia, California. Uh, and then we have our sour facility about three miles away in Anaheim. Uh, and then additionally, two years ago, we opened a uh, store and fulfillment center in Washington, D.C. Okay, so it's a store, not a, not a, okay. Right, so you can go there and uh, um, buy beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could buy crawlers to go. We don't serve beer there. Um, but the real main focus of that was to to get a um, a, a real fulfillment center for our club program on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So, as you guys know, we can't. As a producer, we can't ship beer uh, to consumers across state lines. So yep. um, this is our attempt at getting our uh, pre-sold beer to D.C. Um, that in an area that's that's more of a hub for the East Coast. So you can jump on a train, you know, and get there real quick and, and pick up your beer. That's too bad because I think uh, we'd all agree that uh, Washington, D.C. could probably use with a little bit more beer drinking uh, across the aisle, get stuff done, and, right. uh, and exactly. do it with camaraderie and, and good good cheer rather than the crap that goes on. So, And and we do have people in our company who are experienced mules. Uh, so if you do need to get beer someplace, let us know. We can, right on. For a small commission, we can uh, yeah. easily make it happen. <laughs> Steve, uh, we've been uh, – well, we can't – we shouldn't talk – so hemp is slowly getting legalized, and some states are allowed and not allowed, and we're looking at it. So sometimes uh, samples show up in the pickup trucks as we're crossing borders. So Right. Right on. <laughs> when you are um, making these barrel-aged beers, uh, some of them like Black Tuesday have been doing for several years, I'm, I'm more interested in, in, in how you approach thinking about a new one. You know, How, how do you go about deciding you know, I guess it starts with, you know, obviously a recipe, but then probably also what type of barrel you're putting it into and all of that. How, how, how do you guys go through that, that process to, to come up with something that's, uh, um, a, a, something, a, a variation on something you've done before? Is it, uh, yeah. How, how do you just go through that? Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, we consider ourselves an experimental brewery by mm-hmm. nature. Um, we have a very robust, um, pilot program and innovation, uh, mindset. So, you know, I, I, I would say that very rarely do we plan something uh, from concept sitting at a table uh, to going out and trying to make and execute that concept. Now, that does happen, but I would say more often than not, what happens is in our continual uh, pilot innovation cycle, we're continually making probably 15 to 20 beers a month mm-hmm. that go on only in our tap room. And so we kind of have a rotating uh, plethora, if you will, of beers that are coming across the table. And we have an opportunity to get some feedback on those in our tap rooms. Uh, we have the opportunity to really like hone in on a recipe and say that, you know, beer X worked really well. Um, what can we turn that into, that same base recipe or that same sort of uh, um, adjunct rates if, it were, if we're doing 
post-fermentation adjuncts. Um, so really it's about building, for us, it's more about building a beer pipeline and having, okay. having you know, 7 to 10 to 15 proven concepts that have worked throughout the year. And then when we're looking two years out at what we're going to make, we'll start pulling in some of those concepts in to kind of refresh the set, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, all that being said, production beers, we make, you know, around 140 different beers a year. Wow. Um, and then with through the pilot innovation cycle, you add another 100 beers a year. Um, and that's, that's really, intense. Yeah. yeah, that's really filling our pipeline. Now, that being said, there are times where, you know, and this year is one of those times that Darren could speak a little bit to this, but, um, you know, earlier this year we, we uh, decided that, you know, we, we, we want to make a lager, you know, and so that was a very, that was very intent driven. That was like, we're going to make mm-hmm. a lager. This is how we're going to do it. Um, but even that cycle has been something where we didn't rush out and get a can designed and make a lager, put in a can and put in distribution. We actually were brewing 30 barrels every quarter, uh, for only direct consumer on-site mm-hmm. consumption mm-hmm. to try to build a base, um, and a, an understanding that, that we could execute these different types of loggers. And I think that's a really good example of, you know, sitting around a table and saying what, what's missing mm-hmm. in our portfolio and mm-hmm. what can we do? And then, and then actually moving and acting with intent. And like I said, I think Darren could speak to that better than I could. Yeah, I think uh, I think just to add to that, it, it really, um, in my mind, depends on the style of beer and what the intent of the project is. And, and I think that this probably applies to most brewers, but customers don't always necessarily understand. But an experiment doesn't mean a potential failure. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what Jeremy's talking about, about building on those concepts. So, you know, at this point in the game with that run rate of different concepts and beers, to pat ourselves on the back a little bit, and there's certainly no intent to boast, but we kind of know what we want to do. And, mm-hmm. and to your uh, point earlier about, like, how do, where does the barrel come in, that's a whole other recipe item, if you will. It's mm-hmm. a component to the beer. So we do we do a lot of calculated thinking around what type of bourbon barrels we want to source. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how long has the bourbon aged in those barrels mm-hmm. before we get them? So all the way, like, back into the supply chain. Um, and Jeremy, coming from uh, from a wine background, he, he, he charges our, our barrel and wood program. Um, is looking at that on a daily basis, you know, and we, we seek out similar to how we select for hops, we're selecting for wood because it, it will affect our beer in a big way. Regarding the lager program, this is, you know, the lagers are very much tradition and fact driven. There is, there is, there are established techniques. It was a little bit of an exercise, not so much in experimenting, like, hey, let's see if this comes out good, but a little bit of an exercise more in terms of what elements do we want to pull in from from being inspired by the history of brewing and the tradition of brewing and and kind of flex the the brewery's um, capability to to execute well on every style so rather than necessarily driving innovation on a lager uh, lager front we looked at hey what do we need to do to provide the best example of the style and and we brewed a a, a Hellas uh, Pilsner for the summer season, and we just did a Merzen and a Fest Hellas mm-hmm. under um, under a a sub brand Rue Keller, uh, if you will, which is a, a homage to both Patrick and our namesake, and mm-hmm. and also the the a cellaring method of the the Rue cellar in traditional German brewing, and it's been very successful. But um, yeah, that was that was completely purpose driven, if you will, and and a lot of fun at the same time. 
For your barrels, uh, do you always use bourbon or have you been experimenting with wine or other types of whiskeys or tequilas and all of that when you're looking at your barrels? Yeah, all of it. Yeah. All of it. We have we have quite a few different barrels in the cellar, including uh, including new wood, uh, American oak and French oak, and yeah, Jeremy, you can probably dive into that. Yeah, I would say uh, there's no barrel out there that we're not interested in trying. <laughs> right. uh, that being said, uh, I think there's there's some things that are kind of are harder to source than others. We brought in a container this year of Scotch barrels, both uh, Speyside and Isla barrels. We're expecting really good things out of those. Um, we have a beer here to taste with you guys. It was aged in gin barrels. It was aged in French oak for a year and then aged in uh, London dry gin barrels for a year. Nice. You know, that's an example of a beer that worked. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't had the best of luck with tequila barrels, uh, so, so much so that it's kind of one of those few barrels that I'm, I, I don't have a huge interest in. Mm-hmm. But I think, uh, you know, to challenge myself, I need to get over that and uh, try to figure <laughs> out a, try to figure out something that actually works in it. And, uh, and But generally speaking, um, I'd say it's the same as same way we look at fruit for um, both some clean beers and, and more more often than not the sour beers that I would say we're you know we're not bigots when it comes to fruit we're not bigots when it comes to barrels in other words I think uh, for a certain project there's there's a perfect uh, uh, partner for it and mm-hmm. and you know what I mean by that is uh, we're talking about bourbon barrels you know uh, bourbon barrels are are not all created the same mm-hmm. and as Darren was mentioning uh, you know we do look at there's a couple of ways to look at it, and, and one interesting way to look at a bourbon barrel is uh, a bourbon barrel is, is created as a brand new barrel uh, to age bourbon in, and um, you'll see some really high end barrels that are you know 12 years, and, and you'll see some some barrels that are six to eight years of age. And when you buy a barrel that's of that of that age, what you're really getting out of it is you're getting the bourbon soak that was in it. Mm. Now, if you go with a lesser bourbon that maybe spent three years in barrel. Maybe a a brewer that's not looking at the whole picture might look at that and say, "Well, it didn't have bourbon in it very long, so it doesn't have a lot of bourbon flavor." Not that's true, but there's the other side of the coin. The mm. other side of the coin is it didn't have bourbon in it very long, yep. so that means there's a lot of oak character yep. left in the barrel. Yeah. So there's yeah, so there's yeah. a different there's a different way of looking at those things and a different way of pulling that into your cellar and understanding that and using that understanding to help you you know garner the best blend possible, yep. and so. You know, a lesser barrel, for one thing, could have some value in another way. Right. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Have you guys ever considered using, uh, trying HBC 472? It's it's a hop that we have that reminds me a lot of kind of a woody, vanilla, uh, barrel-aged flavor and, yeah. and, and aromas. And I just wondered if you guys have I'm not sure if that's one we've worked with yet. I, I know. Do you know, Darren? I'm not sure. Uh, off the top of my head, we do bring in a number of experimental varieties mm-hmm. um, uh, as they become available to us to to uh, to work through our pilot system. But mm-hmm. we'll have to look that one up uh, because that that is interesting. I think one thing to note with these beers, and, and there is a little bit of um, – um, method to our madness and in, in what we wanted to bring sure. uh, for you guys because uh, obviously this is hop country it's harvest yeah. season uh, a lot of hoppy beers come through your doors and obviously that's a lot of fun but these particular these are not hop forward beers there are hops in both of these beers believe it or not uh, but I think that that's an interesting point you bring up you know is there is there a forefront there to be on in terms of integrating hops into some of these mm-hmm. um traditionally not hoppy beers sure. and, and the brewery has always uh kind of you know the mantra that patrick put forward that we still try to carry on is you know we're brewing to taste not to style sure. um 
we make some of our more exceptional products like won't do well at G GABF this mm -hmm. week because they're not on style. Um, but they're the best things we make, and and uh, we'll have to look that one up. We'll have to look that one up. Yeah, for check sure. with Kelly on that one. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think I, I think just to kind of go back to you know some of the pre previous conversation, hops have only recently become a focus for us in our mm -hmm. program, and we are running experimentals through through our pilot system, um, and uh, and we'd certainly be interested in that. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna look at that. Uh, but Steve, uh, back to baseball. Uh, last night was a, was a heck of a game, the the NL wild card game. Uh, yeah. And you know, unfortunately, the Brewers lost. If you're a beer fan and st strictly going by the name of the team, we just had a conversation with Jay Reffling yep. from uh, Miller Coors, who yep. uh, is a huge uh, Brewers fan and season ticket holder. And I run into him every once in a while down at spring training. Uh, but I, obviously the loss of Christian Yelich really uh, yep. affected the Brewers last night. And uh, I was kind of excited because I had Washington advancing in my brackets. Uh, but it's hard not to like the Brewers just because we love Brewers. Sure. Uh, yep. But, uh, yeah, they fell a little bit short uh, uh, last night. But uh, they should have a good team again next year. Tampa Bay and Oakland tonight. Uh, who did you who did you move forward in that bracket? I've, I've got the A's moving forward. I just think having that experience last year, uh, and and Melvin, I think is just an underrated manager. Yep. He he really does a good job there, and um, they more than any team seem to be able to leverage their talent into wins better than uh, uh, other teams do. So I've yep. got Oakland moving on. Yep, yep. I have I have both of those moving on as well. So. Yep. Uh, guys, back to back to yourselves now. Um, you guys are making great beers, so yeah. With the, you know, obviously we like selling hops, but at the, we're really really about the beer. You know, when you get right down to it and community of of what that means. And so we uh, we're glad to have you on our podcast today. Thanks very much for coming around and taking time to spend with us and uh, tell us a little bit about your beer and sharing this beer with us. We really appreciate that. Yep. Thank you. Good luck to the uh, Dodgers. Uh, that's a little difficult to say uh, <laughs> as a Giants fan, but, uh, you know, they're the only team left uh, really on the West Coast. And the uh, A's, yeah. Yeah, Oakland uh, from Northern California. But uh, good luck with that. Have fun with it. It's been a while since I've had fun during the playoffs as a Mariners fan, so <laughs> enjoy it while you can. We will. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, go Blue. Awesome.